Good morning. Woo! Was that good or what? Oh, man, that was awesome. Oh, man, I'm going to need to calm down and just settle in a little bit. What an amazing thing to be with you all in the presence of Jesus Christ, declaring his greatness, declaring there is no power formed against him, formed against us that will prosper. He is the king of all kings, worthy of our praise. What an honor to be in his presence, worshiping him. Pray for me. I need to calm down. All right. Well, uh, a special welcome to you if you're a guest with us this morning. Uh, we're seriously so glad you joined us, uh, as Matt said a little bit ago. We trust that you've been blessed um, being here. We trust that you continue to be blessed as we wrap our time together. And we trust that you will walk out of this place most impressed with the person, the matchless person of Jesus Christ. We trust that we'll all be a little bit more compelled to live a little bit more fully for him when we walk out of here. Um, this morning, uh, I have the privilege of continuing a series we launched last week. A series, as you can see, is that's called Jesus Uncensored. Jesus Uncensored. And uh, in this series, we're going to kind of see Jesus take the gloves off. And the Jesus Loves the Little Children is going to say some really tough things um, in this series. Um, and in, in doing that, we are looking at a section of scripture in Matthew chapter 5 that has uh, become commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount because it was a sermon that Jesus gave on a mountainside to a group of religious folks. Um, and frankly, we could call it the, the sermon on the dark side of the mount or, you know, the, the dark side of the sermon on the mount because Jesus turns a corner and he starts to say some really difficult things to this religious group of people. Now, I, I don't know about you, but um, when it comes to friends, there are certain kinds of people I like, and there are certain kinds of people I don't like. And let me just give you a little bit of insight into that. I like friends, for instance, who are, let's say, nice. Um, people who say nice things. People who, you know, are kind, and they're inspiring, and they make me feel a little bit better about myself. I like people like that. Now, quick confession. When it comes to the people I love and trust, though, I've noticed that it actually tends to be the people who will call me out and say the difficult things and people who may tell me things I don't want to hear. And it's people who may not necessarily make me feel better about myself, but who will help me to be a better version of myself tends to be the kinds of people I will ultimately trust. It's not who I necessarily want to call when I need a boost, but those are the people that I will trust the most to journey with me in this life. Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, but he is also the kind of friend who will tell you the things you may not want to hear, not because he wants you to feel better, but because he wants you to be a better version of everything that he knows he created you and called you to be. 
The only question becomes, are we willing to be courageous enough to, to kind of lean in and let his words wash over us? Are we courageous enough to, to step into the difficult things that he might have to say to us? Or might we be those who say, we'll listen to you when you're the nice and friend and encourage, you know, nice and sweet and encouraging friend. But when you say things that are challenging, we're going to kind of tune you out. So this morning, we want to continue this um, conversation. We want to continue peering in to the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus says some really challenging things about our anger. Now, if you've ever been angry, if you are angry now, if you've ever made someone angry or pushed them in that general direction, if you plan to be angry, perhaps at the television this afternoon when football starts, um, if you're a parent, you're angry a lot, this is a good one for you. Jesus is going to say some stretching things about our anger. And I trust if we let him be our friend, I think we'll find ourselves honestly becoming the kinds of people we would want to be when it comes to how we deal with and how we process our anger. So uh, let's get right to it. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start reading at verse 21. Again, if you don't have a copy, um, physical copy of the scriptures, we would encourage you, please head out to the connection corner after the service and ask for one. The word of God. We believe it's inspired. We believe it will change you. We believe it will point you in God's direction. And so we want to get a copy into your hands. By the way, you have no idea how much we celebrate every time we hear, we gave some Bibles away. Uh, so we really, really would love uh, to give this as our gift to you. But for this morning, we'll have the verses up here on the screen so you're able to follow along. Uh, we're going to look at this chunk of scripture and we'll take moments to just pause and uh, get a greater sense of what's happening as Jesus speaks to us about anger. And in order to do that, um, Jesus kind of speaks about murder. Now, it'll be so fun as we together get a sense of how he's connecting these things. Again, we might not like what he says, but we want to lean in and trust it is for the better. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 21. Here's what it says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, so, so in starting this, this conversation, Jesus majorly TBTs. Jesus reaches way back about 14 centuries and pulls out a really well-known quote. You shall not murder. By the way, where does that quote come from? Anyone know? Oof. Somebody said Ten Commandments, and somebody was like Exodus 20. Very specific. Absolutely. Yes and yes. The Ten Commandments. Now, here's, here's the question. Um, <laughs> who wrote the Ten Commandments? 
God, Jesus, what should we say? Either one is correct. We'll go with either one as the acceptable answer. Everyone goes to Hawaii. But absolutely, which I find so, so, so fascinating. Jesus is being humble. Um, A super famous author once said, (laughs) um... You shall not murder. <laughs> okay, it was, it was this guy. It was me. You may have heard my work. Everybody has heard my work. Jesus is saying to them. Because he's quoting, as somebody astutely pointed out, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, where he said, You shall not murder. And by saying that, Jesus is connecting with his religious base by reminding them of something that they all know and something they all agree with and something they all take really, really seriously. So you can imagine at this point in the sermon, everybody's on the same page talking about amen, talking about preach Jesus, talking about this guy is really, really good. Murder is not cool, and if you do it, you deserve to experience the judgment. Judgment of God forever. Um, by the way, it's easy for this to sneak by us, and we don't have too much time to talk about it, but let me sneak this in. Um, it, Jesus says, when he quotes um, Exodus chapter 20, you shall not murder or else you are in danger of God's judgment. But you notice in Exodus chapter 20, it doesn't say anything about being in danger of God's judgment. Jesus is kind of expounding on that, which is a really cool nugget, uh, a little tidbit for your theological mind. You always let the New Testament interpret the Old Testament. What Jesus is doing, which is so helpful for us, is he's telling us not necessarily what the quote said, but how everybody would have understood it in that cultural context. And he's also telling us how it was meant to be understood that whoever murders is subject to God's judgment. Everybody's on the same page, but then it's into that chorus of enthusiastic amens that Jesus throws in this soul shocker. Look at the first part of verse 22. You've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on now, Jesus. Um, we're going to have to c- correct um, you because that's not what your word says. It says you shall not murder. It doesn't say anything about anger. It just says, you shall not murder. And what Jesus essentially says to this group on that mountainside is, you are correct. But that is not complete. That may be correct, but it is not complete. And by the way, this could very well be the summary of the rest of our series. This could very well be the summary of the rest of this section of scripture that we're going to look at. Correct, but not complete. What Jesus is doing as he preaches is, hey, listen, I know you've been correct about a lot of things. I just came to complete those things. 
And man again, if we had time, we'll talk about how for way too long the church has been way too obsessed with being way too correct. And I wonder if Jesus wouldn't lean in and say, correct is great, but go for complete. You know what the Bible says about the gays. And Jesus may say, you know, that may be correct, but that's not complete. What else do I say? What is the fuller body of what I mean and what I say? Well, you know about my addiction. That may be correct, but it's not complete. There is so much more to be said about the story. But you know, you know about my struggle, or you know about divorce. Well, yeah, that may be correct, but it's not complete. What Jesus is doing here is completing things that may even be technically Correct. And we want to lean in. We want to go for complete. Because after all, Jesus didn't come so that our joy might be correct and containable. He came so our joy might be complete and overflowing. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, let's go from correct to complete. You've heard it said, if anyone murders someone, they are subject to God's judgment. And that is correct but let me complete that truth if anyone is angry with someone they are subject to God's judgment and you can imagine in that moment there were fewer amens on that mountainside than a typical mission point community church service oh um but this would have shaken their belief system a little bit. Jesus is saying, do not murder. That's correct. But it's not the whole story. It's not the complete story. It's just one end of the story. At the heart, the story. At the heart, the command. At the heart, the law is about anger. Um, again, I've not been feeling very friendly towards Jesus this, you know, last week or so because these are hard things, not just to live, but even to understand, let alone to attempt to communicate. But, but I, I picture this almost like a, a pendulum um, of sorts in the way Jesus is communicating. A, a, a pendulum. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, and it is correct, that you should not murder. But murder is just one extreme that the pendulum swings to. That's just one extreme on the continuum. That's not all there is to it. That's just the basics. Here's what Jesus is saying. You've heard it said, do not let the pendulum swing to the extent that you snuff out, you extinguish a person's life. That's correct. But let me complete the thought. Do not even let the pendulum start to swing. Oh, and the pendulum is called anger. You all talk about, well, don't let it swing to the point where it murders. But I'm telling you, don't even let the pendulum start to swing. Um, let me explain it this way, um, and this is something only parents can truly understand. Um, now, 
I feel like, even as I share this, that I owe my parents uh, a thousand continuous apologies for the 342 gray hairs that I put on their head because only a parent can understand the absolute torture and torment that is known as the uh, but I didn't game that the kids often play. And we did this to our parents, drove them absolutely insane. And you know this. Now, if you're not a parent, forgive me, but you might not understand this because you're probably still at that place where you're like, oh, I would never be bothered by such a thing. You're probably still at that place. You're like, I would never bribe my children with electronics, you know, so I can get some peace and quiet. You know, I would never buy them something to shut them up in the grocery store aisle while they're freaking out. Okay, but listen, we would do this in the back of the car, right? I mean, you know this. Like, it's the game. I've referred to it a number of times. Um, where um, I would have my hand like this close to my brother's face. And it would just be driving him crazy. Mom! 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 Kondo's messing with me. And what would I say? But I'm not touching you, though. But I'm not touching. Mom, I'm not even touching him. I'm not, did I touch you? Did I touch you? No, I didn't touch you. And my brother is freaking out. Mom! So my mom's starting to lose her mind. And she reaches back. And she just yells at us. Hey! Keep your hands to yourself. And then about 10 seconds later, my brother's freaking out. Mom! Mom! And I'm like, I'm not touching him, though. And I'm using my foot. You said keep my hands away from his face. I'm using my foot, and I'm not touching him. And my mom starts to freak out, and her pendulum starts to swing. And she starts to say to my dad, you better pick the son you love the most because I'm about to murder the other one. And she just loses her mind. So I owe her an apology, and some of you parents understand that insanity, and I wonder if that's not to some degree what Jesus is communicating. <laughs> You've heard it said um, that you should not murder somebody. And so what you are prone to say is, hey, as, it, it, I'm not touching them, though. I'm not touching them, though. And this is what the church does. It's not like I've murdered anybody. It's not like I killed anybody. I didn't kill anybody. And Jesus is saying, do not even let the pendulum start to swing. Keep your hands to yourself. If you even start to move in that direction, if you even start to use a leg, or if you even start to inch towards them, Jesus says you are in danger of judgment because you've made it about the point of murder. I'm making it about the pendulum, and that pendulum is your anger. Don't even let it start to swing. Don't even let it start to swing. And this is so key for us to understand because, again, as a church, as a people, as a religious group, we are super obsessed with points on a continuum. And we even become super judgmental, like, yeah, amen, Jesus, those murderers. And Jesus says, you're missing the point by focusing on a point. It is about a pendulum. And in order to help us understand that a little bit more, Jesus gives a couple of illustrations, examples, because he knows we could use them. And this is going to become all the more clear as Jesus uses these really helpful examples. And the first one is what I am referring to as Raka rage. Raka rage. Um, and what he's doing in describing what I'm referring to as raka rage is he's 
telling us a level of anger that we might typically think no big deal. And Jesus would say, nope, the pendulum has started to swing and you are in trouble. But it's not like I was touching him. It's not like I murdered anybody. It's not like we went to that extreme. And Jesus would say, but you are rocker raging. The pendulum has started to swing and you are already in trouble. I don't care that the church finds that version of anger acceptable. I'm telling you, you are already in danger. It's a level of anger. Um, well, look at what Jesus says. Verse 22, uh, the second part. He says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Now, Raka, honestly, was a swear word in that context. I mean, talk about Jesus uncensored, right? Um, it's not the kind of word you would be happy if I repeated in our modern vernacular in a church setting. I would get emails at mattadmissionpoint.net. Um, <laughs> if I said that word, so I'm, I'm, not, going to, I'm not going to do that. Um, but raka was a word you would use if you really wanted to get under someone's skin and hurt their feelings. So someone's upset you. They said something, did something, now you're upset. And you want to go at them. You want to go after this person, you would use raka. Now, I know, again, curious minds might want to know, please tell us what word would translate into our culture. Now, I'm glad that I don't have to answer that question because, believe it or not, the word raka itself is not actually the more important thing. The more important thing is not the word raka. It's what the word is being used to do. It's the fact that I am using this word to wound you because I am upset, which is so good, by the way, for us in a culture that is obsessed with points. And because we're obsessed with points, we tend to be obsessed with words. And because we're obsessed with words, you hear us talk about things like cuss words. Right? Did you say poopy? No! Bad word. No saying the P word in this house. No swearing, which, by the way, is great cultural advice. But it is not awesome biblical advice. Now, again, you get what I say in a second, lest somebody be like, hey, remember how the pastor said it's okay to use? No, that's not what I'm saying. But you're going to get the point here. I trust in a second. It's great cultural advice, but not necessarily biblical advice. Here's what I mean. I don't have to use a cuss word to wound you deeply. The most hurtful things people have said to me were not swear words. They were really nice, church-friendly, intellectual words. They were just strung together with sharpness and the precision that was intended to wound my heart. I don't have to swear at my children. I don't even have to raise my voice. 
in order to crush their little hearts, in order to wound them, in order to take a shot at this sense of self. But, it's, but, but it's, it's, it's not like I swore, though. It's not like I swore, though. I mean, listen, if anyone heard me speak, they would hear my words are very calm and very collected, and I didn't use a cuss word. And heaven is like, oh, good. As long as you didn't use that word, as long as you didn't get to that point, and heaven is saying you still used your words to wound someone. Raka rage. It's not so much about the words themselves. It is about the fact that I have sharpened the word and intended it to wound. Now my words are weighted to wound you. Jesus would call that raka. That is raka raging. I may not cuss, but man, the words I posted on social media came from a deep place of aggravation intended to deeply aggravate, raka rage. Jesus is saying, if your anger even gets to the place, the pendulum is swinging, and it even gets to the place where you use your words to wound that person, whether you are cussing or not cussing, the pendulum is swinging, and that is sin. Jesus would say, in doing that, you are missing the heart of the do not murder commandment. It's not like I've ever murdered anybody. I've just crushed my kids' hearts with my words. That's not the same. I've just lashed out at that person with my weighted words. I may not be killing my kids, but I am crushing them. I may not be murdering but I am demolishing that person's reputation or tarnishing that person's image. The pendulum may not have swung to the extreme of physical murder, but you are still destroying a life that's been forged in the image of God with your words, raka rage. And Jesus would say, don't you look at me and say, it's not like I murdered anyone, though. That's what Jesus is getting at. And Jesus would say, by the way, the rocker raging thing that we do with our words, whether they're pretty words or whether they're pointed words, is something so serious that the church ought to step in and deal with it when it shows up. If the church becomes aware that someone is intentionally wounding with their words, Jesus would say that is serious enough that the church should address it. When was the last time you remember people in the church taking so seriously your post on Facebook or taking so seriously the words I said to wound someone that they pulled me in and said, this is not okay. We need to take steps to address this. Look again at verse 22, the second part. Again, Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And the court here would have been a council of religious leaders who were tasked with a job of dealing with serious moral offenses in their community. And Jesus is saying, if you do that, you need to go and see these people. You are answerable to that group of people. It is so serious a thing. And by the way... In our context, that would be each of us, followers of Jesus, who would be responsible to step in and say, 
Listen, we may have become so accustomed with letting words fly and saying mean things and backbiting people and posting this and posting that. We've gotten to the place in the church where we've just embraced it. And we've said, you know, sometimes she gets mad and she sounds off. You know, sometimes mom gets upset and she just yells at the kids and crushes their little hearts. It's just a thing. And Jesus would say, you as a religious community ought to be dealing with that thing as seriously as it's taken in heaven. That is on the pendulum. And it may not be at that extreme, but it is already missing the heart of the commandment that I gave. Whatever you think is deserving of church discipline, adultery, or physical abuse, Jesus would say, add anger that wounds with words. It's that serious in heaven. And again, I think for many of us, we've been content to walk around saying, well, it's not like I killed anyone. It's not even like I cussed at anyone. So you know what? In the church, I'm just embraced and accepted. And Jesus would say, you are in danger. Can we talk about this? Do we take wounding words, verbal assault in that way, seriously? Sounds like Jesus would call us to do that because you can't say you care about the command not to murder but you don't care when your anger assaults people or when other people's anger assaults people with words and you're like eh, whatever jesus will say you've obviously missed the fact that the point is the pendulum and then jesus gives a second example and he takes us further um, along this continuum of anger, just to give us another illustration, just to give us another example. And I'm calling this second um, example, this second expression of anger, full-fledged anger, full-fledged. And um, when I, uh, anytime I wrote full-fledged, um, Spellcheck didn't quite like this one at all. Um, and you see that in the spelling, full-fledged. Um, look at how Jesus describes this in verse 22, the last part. And anyone, he says, who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. If you wound someone with your raka rage words, then you are sinning, and the Christian community should step in and deal with that. But if you go further than raka, and you say to someone, you fool, Jesus says, forget church discipline. He's not saying the church shouldn't deal with it. But he's saying you have now moved to a place where your eternity is at stake. You've now moved to a place where you are at risk of God's eternal judgment. And he says it in very drastic terms. You will be in danger of the fire of hell if you call someone a fool. And so my immediate thought is, man, Mr. T is in trouble. 
Now, anyone born after 1990 has no idea what that means, but Google is your friend, so um, you go ahead and check that out. Now, this has always been a head-scratcher to me because um, I don't know, again, about you, but for me, um, if we're going purely on phonics, um, I would much rather someone called me a fool than someone called me raka. Like, raka just sounds like it's, you know, like a little bit more guttural. It just sounds like it's a little more Flemish involved. Like, they may be spitting and stuff, like raka. You know, it just sounds like a grosser word. You fool. It sounds like such a friendly insult. So I don't understand why Jesus gives this word such a vicious evaluation. The word fool... Um, it means useless or worthless or disposable or trash. Speaking of which, uh, Monday is my son's favorite, favorite day of the week, the Monday fun day for him, because every Monday... Um, he gets to go into our garage, and he, he gets to grab that big green receptacle, and he gets to drag that thing, haul it out, drag it down the driveway, and leave it at the edge of our street. Uh, because, I don't know in your neighborhood, and frankly, I don't care, but in our neighborhood on Monday, Monday is the day when those dudes come, and they grab that said receptacle from the side of the street, and they, they lift that thing, and they empty its contents into their big fancy truck, and in that truck, the contents get crushed, you know, a little bit, and then they haul those crushed contents off to some dump site somewhere that I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere, uh, uh, somewhere, I'm guessing, and they do who knows what to dispose of that stuff in ways that, again, I don't really care about, but that's Monday. Um, at the Sinfuque Hall, my son's favorite day of the week, you know, as he kind of rockers his way down the driveway. But um, I, I, I wonder if that's not what Jesus is getting at to some degree or another. You fool. You fool, worthless, trash. I wonder if Jesus isn't saying, if the pendulum of your anger swings to the place where you are so upset with somebody, forget the word fool. But it gets to the place where you now view them as or treat them as disposable, you are at risk of being disposed of yourself. I don't think Jesus is concerned about the word fool as much as he is about the implication. He is trying to describe a situation in which I'm so upset with you that you have become disposable to me. You have become worthless to me. You are a piece of trash deserving of being disposed of. 
I am so upset with you that as far as I'm concerned, you can be hauled off, crushed a little bit, and discarded somewhere that I don't frankly care about. But it's not like we murdered anybody. And Jesus would say, it kind of is, though. Because what you have essentially said is you may not be dead, but you are dead to me. Trash. I may not have murdered you, but we are done. You are worthless. I cannot bring myself to do anything more than dispose of you. You are out of my life. Jesus says, Woo! Now that pendulum is swinging. And you don't get to walk around and say, But it's not like I touched him. It's not like, it's not like I killed anybody. Jesus would say, Maybe not physically. But emotionally, you have taken someone forged in the image of God and you have treated them like they are entirely worthless. And I don't know if there's anybody like that in your life. They did something, and it may have started with Raka, and you can see why. Raka is different. Raka is, I'm mad at you, and I'm going to say some things to you, and I'm going to yell at you, and I'm going to hurt your feelings. And trust me, I'd rather Raka with my wife than fool with my wife, if you know what I'm saying, you know. But that's the reality. I'd rather have a fight with my wife where we're saying sharp words to each other, but we're in the vicinity of relationship. The full stage of relationship is we are done. I have decided my marriage is no longer worth fighting for. I am done with you. We can live in the same house, but as far as I'm concerned, it's disposable to me. Jesus is saying points on the continuum. You may not have got to that point, but it's swinging. Is there someone in your life who you would say that is true about? Maybe a parent. They did something, and it used to be rocker. You would say things, but you'd still connect. And then it just was like, we're done. I don't want anything to do with you. You've become disposable to me. Maybe it's a kid at school where you're like, I can't even bring myself to think a blessing for their lives. I want to see their life crushed a little bit. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Jesus would say, you, you can't say that you are honoring and you care about the command not to murder when you have someone that you have said is dead to me. And I want nothing good for them. And I want nothing to do with them. Full-fledged rage. When your anger gets to that place, Jesus says you are in danger of eternal judgment. And I'll tell you what. This is what has been so scary, and I use that word exactly as it's intended to be understood. This is why the recent election cycle and the current political landscape is scary to me. 
because it has brought the pendulum into the church, and that thing is swinging. Ooh. I cannot remember the last time I saw us so angry with each other. Not even rock or rage. I mean, we will Facebook rant, sure. But it has gone to the place where we want to see entire groups of people done away with because of how they knelt or didn't kneel or how they responded to that or didn't respond to that or how they voted for this or didn't vote for that. We are so mad and I'm telling you, Jesus would step in and say, I don't care what you've declared, what you've proclaimed about me. I don't care what you've sang about me. I don't care what you professed when you were 15. 15 years old, if there is the level of anger in you that wants to see a group of people disposed of, you are in danger of my judgment. But somehow we've become okay with rock or raging. We've become okay with full-fledged, you know, rage and anger against people because somehow it feels justified to us. And I wonder if the Lord, as our friend, isn't coming in and saying, can I invite you to something better? Because if nothing else, what the world needs to see right now is a broken pendulum. Is there someone like that in your life? So what does Jesus call us to do in response? How do we deal with our rock of rage and our full-fledged anger? Jesus doesn't mince words. And I think in simple terms, he would say, reconcile now. Make things right, right away. Whatever happened Whatever they did, however they voted, however they expressed themselves, whatever you are angry about, it is, I can assure you, not worth eternity. Not worth it. And if you somehow think you can have one but not the other, or one and the other, Jesus is saying no. You've got to deal with this anger reconcile now and this is so urgent in the mind of jesus that you can't afford to sit on it and then pray about it and make excuses and give explanations reconcile immediately and he communicates that by giving a couple of illustrations we'll read through them um, quickly but here's what he says verse 23 this is a trip to me therefore If you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, there is tension. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. That's crazy. If you're in a worship service and your favorite song comes on and you are mid-hand raised and the Holy Spirit reminds you that there is tension, there is drama, there is anger in your heart towards somebody or you know that there is very... Intense anger in someone's heart towards you. Jesus says, um, leave. Go and deal with it. When? Yesterday. Like, deal with it now. If you're reminded of someone you have wronged, go and reconcile. And he makes it a both-way thing. 
If you're reminded that you wronged someone and they are now maybe sitting in a place of anger, go and deal with it because now their eternity might be in jeopardy. And just to be clear, Jesus is talking about being aware that I have wronged someone. Not that someone doesn't like me. If you had to go around and deal with everyone who didn't like you for whatever reason that they didn't like you, that would be a long life. Some of us a little longer than others. It's not talking about my kid's upset with me because I wouldn't buy him the iPhone 8. Like, no, let him be upset. That's fine. Stay in church and worship. That's okay. Jesus is cool with that. Uh, now, of course, if you said, no, I won't buy you an iPhone 8, and then you started to rock a rage on them, then you might need to go and make right what it is that you did to wound them in the process of that. But how important do you suppose this is if Jesus is willing to say, um, leave church and go and deal with it? Do you know what Jesus is saying? Hey, um, no offense, but I don't care about your songs right now. There is anger towards someone that you haven't forgiven, you haven't reconciled. There is tension you haven't dealt with. There is anger you have caused in someone else, and you've not owned it. I don't care about your songs. I don't care about your offering. I don't really care much about your mission right now. Because these songs and this offering and this mission is all about a God who came to reconcile to people who had angered him and deserved to be disposed of. You cannot be reveling in a peaceful relationship with me while you are holding another relationship at bay. Go deal with that, then come back. But there's a sense you can read in Jesus' words of, urgency. Lean over to your mom and tell her you're sorry for what you said, but deal with it now. Lean over to your spouse and say, I've been holding a grudge and we need to talk about it. I'm so sorry. I have written off our relationship and we need to take some steps in reconciling. Deal with it now. And God is calling, I believe, some of us to, to reconcile. Our rock of rage has wounded people, and they're at odds with us. So people have wounded us, and we have full-fledged them over time, and we are done with them. And Jesus will say, you're missing my heart. You're missing the heart of the command that I gave you. And then he gives this second illustration to close out and make his point. It's a legal battle between two parties. And he says, verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary. Again, now, quickly, stop dragging it out. This person is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid that last Penny. Again, this is Jesus' way of saying the best time to deal with anger is now. And the next best time to deal with anger is now. Because the last now has moved a little further into the future. And now is a new now. But the point is deal with it now. And his point is you would rather deal with it before it gets too late. 
And for some of us, we're like, well, let's just wait. Let's walk a little and let's see maybe over time. And Jesus is saying, you don't know how much time you have. Deal with it now before it gets out of your hands and into the hands of the judge. And it's up to him to decide. Now it's still in your hands. You still get to go and say, I am sorry for the way I wronged you. You still get to go and say, I forgive you for the way you wronged me. And by the way, reconciliation doesn't mean your friendship will be the same. Reconciliation doesn't mean you and the ex will get back together. Reconciliation doesn't mean this person is even going to accept your apology. Reconciliation doesn't even mean the person will agree to talk to you. It doesn't even mean the person will agree to read the notes you left for them. It just means you have played your part in saying, I'm sorry for the wrong I did. And you have played your part in saying, I forgive you for the wrong you did. Reconciliation doesn't mean you even have to have a meeting with someone who's unsafe. It just means that you are saying, I am freely offering forgiveness. Reconciliation doesn't mean it's going to become easy after that. You may need to remind yourself over and over and over again, I forgave them. Oh my goodness, I need to be reminded, I forgave them. I forgave them. I forgave them. I forgave them. I forgive them again. It may be a process that goes on, but the point is you are making a declaration in this moment called now. That as far as it's up to me, I forgive. And as far as it's up to me, I own the place that I've been wrong. And when you forgive, that pendulum comes crashing down. Because the point is the pendulum. And again, this is not easy, church. We can talk about it like it's a simple decision. It's not easy, but it is made possible by the same one who spoke these words, knowing full well that he would have to go to the dump site outside of the city and his body would be disposed of because of the wrongs we had committed against him. And he would become willing to freely forgive us of what we did against him. And he's the one who gives us the power to say, I forgive. Because he did it for us. Deal with it now. And for some of us, you know, sitting in this room, our beef is with God. And he's the one that we've never gone to and said, I have wronged you. And I am sorry. And the best time to do that is right now. And the beauty of that is he will take your call, he will take your note, and he will always say, I forgive. And I reconcile to you. Again, church, what the world needs right now is to see a group of people who are so quick to forgive and who are so quick to say sorry And who don't justify the way we live by saying it's not like we've killed anybody while we continue to hurt people along the continuum of our anger. I believe Jesus is inviting us to more. And he's inviting us to what we would ultimately want to be ourselves. So, Spirit of God, I ask you to give us an unusual courage to step into places that we just don't want to. So please give us the strength. Please give us the grace. Jesus, thank you for the ways you did the very things you call us to do. Thank you for turning your anger away from us. Thank you for forgiving us for our wrongs against you. Now give your church the power and set us free and restore our worship.
so that there is no static in our praise. So there is no static in our prayer. So you hear us and so you respond to us. And so that we become a picture of what you are like in the world around us. By your grace and in your name we pray. Amen.